They hated him for speaking with authority. Why did he speak with authority? Because the very mouth that created the universe was speaking to the people. And that's why the guards, when they were told to arrest him, came back empty-handed. And and the leader said, where is he? We told you to arrest him. And they said simply, no man spoke like this man. Even when he was arrested in the garden, what happened? When they first tried to arrest him, he said, when they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, he said, I am. And they fell backwards. Because the I am of the burning bush was saying, I am. I'm extremely grateful to be with you this morning. Um, It's been since last year uh, that I've seen you. And so it's great to be here in 2024. You know, I've thought often about Jesus' return. I can think of several times in my life where I wished that Jesus would return right then. I remember when I was a teenager and I was getting ready to go in for back surgery um, in February of 2006. I was like, it'd be nice, Lord, if you'd come before Thursday so I wouldn't have to have the back surgery. Uh, He didn't, and God led me through that time. I often think about Christ's return when I go to the funeral of a friend or loved one, especially who is a believer. I've often thought that that would be maybe one of the, the neatest times for the rapture to happen would be at a believer's funeral because you know that casket would be empty immediately, And then we would follow right after them. Because as Paul said, the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with the Lord. And so shall we ever be with him. What a wonderful promise that is. And that is a promise that Paul lived with. Because what was it that he said? In our last message to the, the Sanhedrin, the council gathered, he said, because, of the re- because I preach the resurrection of the dead, I am called to account before you. Because Paul preached Christ crucified, buried, and risen again. And what a wonderful thing that we don't serve someone who is dead in a cemetery somewhere. So many world religions, you can go to the cemetery and you can see their leader, you can see the tomb or the mausoleum, wherever it is they are. But when we go and look into the tomb of Jesus, we see that it is empty. For he is not here, for he has risen just as he said. And so I'm very grateful for that this morning. And um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 23. Uh, we are going to start at verse 12, and uh, this is a very interesting portion of Scripture because Paul has been persecuted many times throughout this book. Remember, early in his ministry, he was let down 
in a basket on the city wall so that he could be um, uh, so that he could escape persecution. And today we're going to talk about another really amazing persecution of Paul. I think it's kind of interesting that right before this happens, Jesus says to Paul, be of good cheer for you will testify for me in Rome. And it seems like all throughout this book of Acts, we see really exciting, joy-filled things happen, then persecution, then joy, then persecution, then joy. That's a pattern that we see here. And, and that is a pattern that, if we are honest with ourselves, we see in the Christian life. Ups and downs, but Jesus with us all the way. He says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the same Jesus that Paul served, we serve today. So the first thing I want to say is that I've titled this message, A Manhunt for Paul. A Manhunt for Paul. So let's look at the first couple of verses here and see the plan made. The first point, if you're taking notes, is the plan made. So, Acts 23, 12 to 15. Acts 23, 12 to 15 reads, And when it was day, certain of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. And there were more than 40 which had made this conspiracy. So this is a lot of people. And they came to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great curse that we shall eat nothing until we have slain Paul. Now, therefore, ye with the council signify to the chief captain that you bring him down unto you tomorrow as though you would inquire something more perfectly concerning him. And we, or ever he come near, are ready to kill him. Now, there's a lot of animosity going around in our culture today. Um, Sides have been drawn on a variety of issues. But no matter how much I may disagree with you on something, I can assure you that because of the love of Christ and by His grace, I would never desire your death or anyone else's. There's two different ways to live life. Either you live life in the pursuit of death, which is what you get when you follow the devil. What did Jesus say? The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So if you want death, if you want someone to steal your joy, to kill you, to destroy you, then you follow the devil. But then Jesus offers the contrast, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it. More abundantly. He said to the Israelites in the Old Testament, I have set before you life and death, therefore choose life that thou and thy descendants may live. So we have these men with a very clear vendetta against Paul, and they go to the leaders, both the political and religious leaders of the city, and they say, Bring Paul down, and we will be ready to kill him. Now, isn't it sad that the religious leaders 
don't make any vocal opposition to this plan. They stay silent. There's a common quote that is used often in the pro-life movement, and I wish I remembered who said it. But it's such a good reminder to me always. And it's this. The only thing necessary for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. Every great uh, accomplishment that we have had in the area of actual justice have been because good men stood up and made their voices heard. William Wilberforce was contemplating, will I be a pastor or will I be a politician? And through counsel of others, people encouraged him that he had a place in both circles of influence. And through his arduous passion against the trade of slavery, he led a revolt against slavery in Great Britain and saw slavery abolished many years even before it was abolished here in the U.S. Because a good man decided that it wasn't sufficient to sit on the sidelines and do nothing. So we have a plan in place. These men say that they're not going to eat a thing until they kill Paul. Now, I really like food, so I will probably never make one of these vows about anything because I I think that food is one of the greatest gifts that God has given us. And so this is kind of crazy to me, but I wanted to share with you something that I read this morning regarding this vow because we don't have anything in the text that says how long uh, this vow uh, took play or how long it they they contemplated this vow but on precept austin a uh, commentary by the name of longnecker says this on the binding nature of their solemn oath that did not mean however that they would necessarily have to starve if they failed the rabbis allowed four types of vows to be broken vows of incitement vows of exaggeration Vows made in air and vows that cannot be fulfilled by reason of constraint. Exclusions, exclusions allowing for almost any contingency. The conspirators planned, though violating both the letter and the spirit of the Jewish law pertaining to the Sanhedrin, was in keeping with the character of the high priest Ananias. And so we see here that pretty much all of these exceptions are found in this vow because this is a vow of incitement they're trying to pull people over to their side it's a vow of exaggeration they're just so angry that they probably don't even realize what they're vowing it's definitely a vow made in air because it's not consistent with honoring god and it's a vow that cannot be fulfilled because when you go against god you fail that is the ultimate reality so I wanted to share that with you this morning. And 
So we see that um, after the comfort for Paul comes the conspiracy against Paul. Remember we said that earlier? Paul gets comforted and then there's a conspiracy. After the solace from the Savior comes the storm from Satan. After the promise given Paul comes the persecution against Paul. After the night with the presence of the master comes the day with the presence of the murderers. This is not unusual, but usual. When God blesses, we can expect Satan to buffet. And what did Horatio Spafford say in his famous hymn? Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. In Psalm 64, 2-6, we read, He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will you imagine mischief against a man? You shall be slain, all of you, as a bowling wall shall ye be, and as a tottering fence. The only... They only consult to cast him down from his excellency. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly, Selah. My soul wait only upon God, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. I wonder if... Paul was thinking back over and over again on that meeting that he had with Jesus where Jesus said, Be of good cheer, Paul. You will testify of me in Rome. He knew that he couldn't die that day because God had made him a promise. In John 16, 2 and 3, we read, They shall put you out of the synagogues, yea, the time cometh, that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God a service, and these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. And that's John sixteen two and 3. Isn't it interesting that Paul was one who what? He killed Christians. He persecuted Christians. He threw Christians into prison, and he thought that he was doing God a favor, just as this verse said. And now this is happening to him. Obviously, Paul talks to us in Philippians about putting the past behind you. But I have to wonder in his humanity if he thinks about some of those past things when he's going through this persecution. And, he, and he's like, I don't want to go through this, but I kind of understand where they are because I was there. Proverbs 4, verse 16 says, For they sleep not, except they have done mischief, and their sleep is taken away, unless they cause some to fall. These people 
were so bent on seeing Paul's destruction that they said, for whatever length of time, we're not going to eat until we kill Paul. They were so preoccupied with what Paul was doing that they are like, we can't even live our normal life if Paul is allowed to live. What a sad reality for them. Our daily bread uh, has this particular excerpt. In ancient Rome, crowds by the tens of thousands would gather in the Colosseum to watch as Christians were torn apart by wild animals. Paul Rader, commenting on his visit to this famous landmark, said, I stood uncovered to the heavens above where he sits for whom they gladly died and asked myself, would I, could I die for him tonight to get this gospel to the ends of the earth? Rader continued, I prayed most fervently in that Roman arena for the spirit of a martyr and for the working of the Holy Spirit in my heart as he worked in Paul's heart when he brought him on his handcuffed way to Rome. These early Christians lived on the threshold of heaven within a heartbeat of home, no possessions to hold them back. I often feel weak and I often wonder if I could be strong enough to be martyred for the gospel, but I have to remember what Jesus said because he said, don't think about what you will say. For in the very hour that you need it, I will give you what to say. And I'm reminded also of Moses. Did Moses know what to say to the children of Israel or to Pharaoh? No. But God said to Moses, Go and I will teach you what to say. And that is my prayer every time I get up to preach too, that God would fill me and show me what it is he wants me to share with you. So we have seen the plan made. Now we're going to see the plot revealed. See, these guys thought they were going to pull one over, that they were going to be able to be deceptive and and capture Paul by deception. But it didn't work out that way. Acts 23, 16 and 17 says this, And when Paul's sister's son heard of their laying in wait, he went and entered into the castle and told Paul. So evidently, uh, this sister's son, which first of all, isn't that interesting that we finally get an inkling that Paul had relatives, We don't hear much about his relatives, but we know that he had a sister and she had a son. So he evidently had access to Paul. Again, Paul was was in this prison more, I think, for his protection than because they were worried about him being a criminal at this point. So he had free access to him somehow. Then Paul called one of the centurions onto him and said, bring this young man onto the chief captain, for he hath a certain thing to tell him. Isn't it interesting that Paul just didn't just tell the centurion, 
what his nephew said. He wanted the message to be clear. He didn't want him to travel through a bunch of channels. He said, bring my nephew to the captain so that he can hear this news. And uh, so I, I, I just think that's very interesting. We don't know where this young boy was. We don't know how it was that these 40 men were making this plan and didn't see this boy. But we know that we serve a God who works in all the details of life. I remember reading about Brother Andrew, God's smuggler, who smuggled Bibles beyond the Iron Curtain. And he used to pray, God who makes blind eyes see, please make seeing eyes blind. And he has story after story in his book, God Smuggler, and I think there's a follow-up book too, but story after story where God made seeing eyes blind so that the Bible could flourish even behind the Iron Curtain. Why is that? Because God's word will not return to him void, but will accomplish all that he sets for it to. So we learn here that Paul had a sister and a nephew in Jerusalem. Somehow this young man found out about the plot to kill Paul. God providently used a young boy to warn Paul of the plot to kill him. God's timing was perfect, for the boy found out just in the nick of time and did not delay, or Paul would have been dead. We call this a divine coincidence, but there are no coincidences in the plan of God. Notice that this detail of a young boy overhearing a conversation seems so insignificant, but it was another providential move in the plan of God for Paul. When Columbus was sailing to America, a flight of birds caused him to change course. He was sailing for Virginia, but at this point he was looking for land because they had been at sea a long time and his men were mutinous. Suddenly he saw a flight of birds to the southwest. He changed his direction to the southwest and hit the West Indies instead of Virginia. That simply determined whether this nation would be dominated by Spain or by England. Such a small thing as a flight of birds determining such a tremendous thing in history. And that is from uh, Jack Arnold. As we uh, continue on, we see that our third point is the peril passed on. So first we have the plan made, then we have the plot review revealed, and then we have our third point, which is the peril passed on. So this plan and the peril that Paul is in is going to be passed on to the captain. So let's look at Acts 23 18 to 22. So he took him and brought him to the chief captain and said, Paul the prisoner called me unto him and prayed me to bring this young man unto thee, 
who had something to say unto thee. Then the chief captain took him by the hand and went with him aside privately and asked him, What is that thou hast to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to desire thee that thou wouldest bring Paul tomorrow into the council as though they would inquire somewhat of him more perfectly. But do not yield unto them, for they lay in wait for him of them more than forty men, which have bound themselves with an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him, and now they are ready, looking for a promise from thee. So the chief captain then let the young man depart and charged him, See thou tell no man that thou hast showed these things unto me. So, Paul is now uh, protected uh, because this young boy was willing to go and share what had transpired, that these men wanted to kill Paul. And the captain took this young boy and took him seriously and believed him. And the last thing that this captain says in our section is don't tell anyone that you've spoken to me. So now the captain is starting to formulate a plan and we'll get more into that next time. But I love the way that God works and the fact that Paul, um, according to uh, Jack Andrews here, he says Paul was wise enough to go through the proper channels. He didn't tell the centurions what his nephew told him, but he told the centurion to take his nephew to the commander so he could tell him personally. God was working out every detail so that his servant would go safely to Rome. He would thwart the plans of man to accomplish the plans of God. And isn't it wonderful to know that we cannot thwart the ultimate plans of God? I, I saw this meme that's kind of a chuckle, but it's also true. When God formulated his plan for your life, he already took your stupidity into account. There's nothing that we can ultimately do to change God's plans for our life. Guess what? When Jonah fled and went to Tarshish, guess where he ended up in the end? He ended up in Nineveh where God wanted him in the first place. Now, I always find the end of Jonah really interesting because it seems like there should be a sequel because we see Jonah kind of bitter and upset even at the very end because he's like, God, I knew what you would do. I knew that you would have mercy and I knew these people would repent. Almost like he was upset about it. But it was God's plan and his providential wisdom to have the truth of his grace shared with the Ninevites and that they would repent and that there would be a great revival at that time. And we read in that book that part of the reason for that is because of the great number of people who didn't know their right hand from their left, meaning a great number of children. And what did Jesus say about children? 
He said, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Guess what? Jesus loves children, and so we as the church need to make sure that we are loving children as well. So, by way of a cross-reference, I'm just going to look at Acts chapter 9. Verses 20 and 25 first. And it says here, And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. But all that heard them were amazed and said, Is this not he that destroyed them which called on his name in Jerusalem, and came hither for that intent, that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwell at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that, many days, after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying in wait was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. We talked about that a little earlier. Again, can you imagine hating someone or their message so much that your sole intent was to kill him? Well, Paul was just uh, experiencing the same thing that Jesus did. You know, people who, people say, well, well, Jesus is so loving, so why do you talk about sin? Why do you talk about hell? When God is love, and that's all that matters. But my response to them is, if... God, if God, if your perception of God is that he's so loving, why did he end up on a cross? You know why he ended up on a cross? Because the people hated him for sharing the truth. They hated him for speaking with authority. Why did he speak with authority? Because the very mouth that created the universe was speaking to the people. And that's why the guards, when they were told to arrest him, came back empty-handed. And and the leader said, where is he? We told you to arrest him. And they said simply, no man spoke like this man. Even when he was arrested in the garden, what happened? When they first tried to arrest him, he said, when they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, he said, I am. And they fell backwards. Because the I am of the burning bush was saying, I am. Remember in John chapter 10, he said, I have both power to lay my life down and I have power to take it up again. This command have I, have I learned from my Father. This command have I been given from my Father. That's power. When Peter was wielding a sword and he cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest named Malchus, what happened? Jesus, even though he was in torment, even though he had just sweat great drops of blood because of the agony he was in, even though he was being arrested and he was going to be dragged from the garden, he still took the time to heal that ear. And I hope I see Malchus in heaven. Because I would really like to hear the first person account of that. 
It's an amazing story to me. And then let's look at 2 Corinthians 11. Real quick, 2 Corinthians 11, 21 to 27. I speak as concerning reproach, as though we had been weak. How be it, whereinsoever any is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times I received forty stripes, save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A day and a night I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils by the city, in perils by the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weakness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, often in cold and nakedness. So Paul has suffered all this, and yet he will still say, at the end of his life. I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. And now is laid up for me a crown of life. And not for me only, but for all who love his appearing. The citizens of Feldridge, Austria didn't know what to do. Napoleon's massive army was preparing to attack. Soldiers had been spotted on the heights above the little town, which was situated on the Austrian border. A council of citizens was hastily summoned to decide whether they should try to defend themselves or display the white flag of surrender. It happened to be Easter Sunday and the people gathered in the local church. The pastor rose and said, Friends, we have been counting on our own strength and apparently that has failed. As this is the day of our Lord's resurrection, let us just read the bell, ring the bells, have our services as usual and leave the matter in his hands. We know only our weakness and not the power of God to defend us. The council accepted his plan, and the church bells rang. The enemy, hearing the sudden peal, concluded that the Austrian army had arrived during the night to defend the town. Before the service ended, the enemy broke camp and left. God is a powerful God. Martin Luther said this, a mighty fortress is our God a bulwark never failing? What a wonderful God that we serve. Now, as I end, I just want to encourage you that you can know God. Some people think that God is unknowable. I just read a book by a celebrity who said that he knows there's a God, but he doesn't think God is knowable. But I can assure you that God is knowable. His son's name is Jesus, and he died on the cross for your sins and my sins. He was buried and rose again the third day to seal our salvation. And as we sang in the introduction, one day he's returning. We don't know when, but he is because he's a promise-keeping God. I pray that you're with us that day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the testimony of the Apostle Paul. 
I thank you that through all the trials that he went through, that you were true to him, that you kept him safe, that you helped him complete his mission, and that you never forsook him once. Lord, may we have the boldness of Paul to know that our life and our mission will not be ended until you say it is. And that we can know for a certainty that you have a plan for your life, for our life, and that you are fulfilling it. For you have said that you will complete your plan for us until the day of Jesus Christ. And we praise you for that. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.